I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Liam Cooper at left back of the podcast, supposedly in charge but possibly out of place. And I'm joined by the extra under-23s match of the podcast, Jacob Stambridge, recently announced but hideously inconvenient. And finally, the crypto of the podcast. No one really understands him and we'd probably all be better off without him. It's Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm all right, mate. I'm pretty angry about this crypto <laughs> nonsense. I knew this was coming. As soon as I saw Everton's one the other day, I tweeted, I said, uh, just wait, something like this will be me when Leeds announced this with a someone being sick <laughs> gif. And, uh, well, I think that was yesterday. So <laughs> it's cynical taking money away from fans with just some absolute rubbish about engagement to put out the whole uh football is for the fans nonsense and then do this it just makes me angry a man who's probably much better at hiding his anger is jacob stanbridge <laughs> jacob how are you doing that doesn't mean i'm not feeling the anger it is very frustrating but but yeah i'm all right and how are you john yeah it's, it's always nice having you on jacob because you you care about me in a way that the others don't um, <laughs> so yeah I'm, do, I'm doing okay um, but yeah, I think the frustrations about this socio's token system is 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 frustrating. But I think it's kind of at a point where we expect this kind of thing happening. Uh, for those of you who don't know, socio's is a is a token system which um, allows fans to buy into the club in some ways um, and allegedly have some sort of say in the running of the of the club. But you can only buy it by purchasing a very specific. Uh, cryptocurrency um so the the issue there being that you, the the anyone can can deal in this cryptocurrency uh, and anyone can deal in these tokens and it looks like it's going to be fairly easy to manipulate the the prices of those uh, of those tokens and um the long and short of it is it looks very much like um certain fans will be um better will will lose out money on this so um there are plenty of good pieces to read on this i know that martin calladine has written a good piece which i think the square ball um tweeted and we shared so have a look on our timeline and you will find some things to read about this but um i don't want to dwell on this too much mainly because i don't really understand it but (laughs) the the long and short of it is uh this is just another way of rich people making money at the expense of uh, fans and we see enough of that in the game as it is so i think we don't need quite so much of that Let's talk about transfer news. So um, Christopher Klassen has officially signed. We talked about him in the last episode, so I'm not going to dwell on him here. What I will say is we have a piece coming out in the next couple of days on our medium from a goalkeeping analyst uh, replete with many gifts. So um, <laughs> do check that out when it goes up. It's going to be one of the most <laughs> in-depth uh, articles that we've, we've ever had on, on, it is. on our site. 
it, it very much is. And the chorus on this podcast, when any of us is talking about goalkeepers, is that we're not goalkeeper experts. <laughs> so we've we've done our best to get you you guys uh, someone who knows what they're talking about. So that'll be well worth reading. So that'll be up in the next couple of days. The only other transfer news of note is Lewis O'Brien, who we've talked about variously um, throughout the summer, uh, seemed to be on the list and cropped up early on in the window and it feels as though we've gone through our list not being successful and so we've ended up back at at Lewis O'Brien but it may not be the worst thing in the world Um, Josh has has dragged me kicking and screaming to the opinion that that this is a decent transfer Um, so Josh do you want to just have a a quick chat about about Lewis O'Brien what's your feeling on Lewis O'Brien at this point in time yeah I I think the the more that I dig into watching him uh, because I'm I'm preparing an an article and a, and a video analysis because I'm pretty confident that if if we want him, we'll make a deal happen. I I, I don't see us being ultimately rebuffed uh, by Huddersfield in the end. Um, yeah, I, I think it's smart. He's that he's the age range that John and I have spoken about loads on on our various authors lists shows. Um, and he fits the style um, better than probably many other or even any other options that, that we could be going for. Um, it helps that he's spent the last season under um, under Carlos Corberan. But more than that, his natural attributes just fit. Um, he, he has a sort of blend, I would say, uh, between Click and, and Foreshore, probably leaning more heavily towards playing how Click plays with the sort of really intense pressing, quick combination passing, uh, and just, yeah, ev- everything about his game is sort of energy uh, and really nice ball carrier. I think it would be nice if he could sort of slow the tempo down a little bit more, like Forshaw can, but he's still pretty young, so I think he might be able to mature into that kind of play a little bit. Um yeah, I I think it's a good signing. We spoke a lot about the idea of a ceiling raiser um, coming in, so someone who sort of immediately raises the quality of the squad, uh, or even the first eleven. Sorry, um, I don't know yet if I feel he's that. I think maybe he's he's not, but I do think he could quite quickly get into the first eleven. I think he's a better midfielder than Stuart Dallas is, um, as much as Stuart Dallas deserved to be player of the year last season and played very well I still don't see him as a natural midfielder and O'Brien will will come in and and be that so yeah let's see I think it's good maybe I wouldn't want us to spend 10 million on him but also I, I'm not going to be angry about spending 10 million pounds on him if, if that's what we ultimately spend yeah, I think it's pretty clear that we need a midfielder and if it gets to the end of the window and, and we have to maybe shell out a little bit more on a player um, who, who does fit well, then I guess so be it. Um, Jacob, I'll come to you on this, but we've talked a lot about um, Lewis O'Brien as being almost a left-sided uh, Matthias Click, and we've also talked a lot on this channel about the um, the the lack of, of pressing that we have when we play someone like Rodrigo. Do you think there's any chance that we could potentially see a midfield of two similar players um, in, in that sort of click profile with O'Brien and Click? I think there's every chance that that could be something that would be really beneficial. We, we know that the pressing has um, been a real issue in midfield for us. And even with Stuart Dallas playing very well last season, you there's something that we've said quite a bit is that it's not so much he's a brilliant presser as much as he's a brilliant tackler. Um, so perhaps having two pressing people in the team in those positions will allow us to play a bit more of our natural game and um, not have to necessarily be as transitional. No, I totally agree with you there. I don't want to talk about this too much for two reasons. One is that we are going to go on, go on to talk about squad depth today in this episode in particular. So this is the the, uh, the annual state of the squad pod that we do Um the other reason is because Josh and I have spent time talking about Lewis O'Brien um, in a Autos List episode, which is available on our Patreon. So if that sounds interesting to you, then go and check it out there. Before we get onto the state of the squad pod, let's just talk about the games yesterday. Um, so yesterday, Leeds United played against uh, Young Ajax and Ajax. Uh, neither of the games were particularly memorable from a Leeds United <laughs> perspective. Um, the the under twenty threes with a few uh, senior players, lost 3-1. 
uh, and then then the senior squad in the evening lost 4-0 I'll start with you on this Jacob presumably you've seen both of the games yeah so let's start with the the under 23s game what did you make of that 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 one was a bit more on in the background for me but um to me in a way it felt a bit like the Crawley game in the FA Cup where it was sort of a hodgepodge of some of the younger players and um, a couple of senior players with Calvin and Liam Cooper both started that game as well. But um, then having Costa and Perveda and a, a number of players who are all on the fringes of the t- of the squad all playing together and there, like those relationships don't seem to be as strong. If it was like, as we saw in the second half, a more wholly under-23 team or more of the first team, then I think it probably would have felt more cohesive. But to have this sort of mixture, to have uh, Liam Cooper and Calvin both out of position, and also it was their first 45 minutes back for both of them. Um, I think there were a lot of things that made it set up to fail for us. And um, and then by the time it came to the second half, even though, yeah, we looked better, A, you can talk about how the Ajax team sort of sat off a bit, and B, it, yeah, it was too far gone. Yeah, Josh, you watch a lot of uh, the Eredivisie. Um, obviously, Ajax have a great system. We all know that that Pascal Strauch was spat out at the other end of that system and has come to us and become a, a great player. So there's clearly a lot of talent in in uh, the Ajax club. Um, what did you make of the game from that perspective? You know, this is this is a, a game against a, a, an academy side of 17, 18 year olds and uh, a real kick up in quality compared to what we've seen the under 23s playing against in the Premier League 2 Division 2. So it's important to say that that wasn't even like that wasn't the strongest version of of young Ajax. Um that was a that was a sort of 18 19 year olds team but they they have other players sorry even 17 18 year olds team they have other players that are um even more uh, likely to break into the first team that were just they were already with the first team squad uh, in in the evening um or or not not there um but yeah <laughs> i'm i'm i don't have real um like i'm not making conclusions from from that game at all because uh, like jacob says like it it was a hodgepodge and even though you can you could look at our uh, lineup for that game without context and say, hey, that was a strong lineup. How how did that happen? Like we have to remember that Phillips and Cooper, that was their first forty five minutes. Perveda had only played forty five minutes before that. Um, Costa, I mean, yeah, I I I've tried to be I've tried to be really positive about Costa over over a long period of time. I thought even though he didn't score as many goals, get as many assists in the championship. As I hoped for, I felt he was important in the way he carried the ball and got us up the pitch. But I've I've lost confidence with him now at this point. Um, he looked like he should have been having an impact in that game and, and he just really didn't. And you saw when Somerville came on, what a player who wants to take uh, responsibility looks like. Um, and yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised uh well, I have been sorry, pleasantly surprised with uh, Somerville over the whole uh, of preseason so far, and I, I've obviously gone on record a few times and said I don't think he'll make it, even though he's an exceptional dribbler. I think there are other reasons why he won't make it, but what I've seen is huge personality uh, from him uh, in in wanting to make things happen, like almost be a, a leader in the attack uh, for for his team and. Uh, I think he's pushing himself forwards as a, as a potential option, and if Leeds do sign uh, another winger, then then maybe um, Somerville can become that sort of wild card option that Perveda was last season. So you could have three sort of quality options, and your fourth option, which is Somerville, I'd find that quite interesting. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not drawing big conclusions over that game at all. I I, I think they were bound to beat us based on how, how good they are as a unit, how technical they are. If if you watched the game, just, yeah, had, the way they passed through us pressing, it was, it, was, it was a bit of a clinic. And so that was the, the first game that was played in the afternoon and then there was one played in the evening, which was a 4-0 loss. Um, you've mentioned that you're not going to make many or take many conclusions from from the earlier game but the the evening game I suppose was a, a dry run for a first 11 from Leeds United um, 
what do you take from from that game um, in 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 that respect? Given that 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 could be a potential first eleven that we'll see playing against Manchester United in the opening game. There's bits of it that I think we can sort of discount. Like that first goal was just. Uh, I think that's the kind of crap that happens in in preseason. It's not to say it will never happen. Um, if, if people that haven't seen it, Ailing gets past the ball by Melier just on the edge of of our box. He's back to goal. And he just seems to have no awareness that Klaassen uh, is, is behind him and he comes in and pinches it and scores and then Ayling turns around and shouts at <laughs> Robin Koch for not uh, telling him he's there. But yeah, it, it was one of those where I think you just go, hey, that's still rustiness, whatever, it's fine. That that will barely happen uh, in, in the actual season. Um, but what does concern me is that I think uh, they're are issues at the moment that we're seeing in this game and in the Betis game, um, which are structural issues that we had from last season. So I don't see that as just, oh, that's just pre-season. It's no, we've got a clear issue where Rodrigo plays in midfield and the opposition just run through the middle and it's far too easy. Uh, and I I feel disappointed about that because I hoped we'd have have it sorted by now. Just to add to what Josh said, I, I, I completely agree that it sort of showed up some of those weaknesses um, as well. Uh, there was discussion we had in the, in the group chat around a really good movement, um, dragging the man-marking system around. And uh, again, that was really on show last night. I don't think every team in the Premier League is going to be quite as effective as um, hitting those buttons as Ajax were, but I I do share yeah the, the, those concerns that it doesn't seem that Rodrigo in midfield is something that has got any better over the summer. Yeah, and it should be said, I think, that Eric Ten Hag is a very good coach. And I think just watching snippets of the game back, and I might make a video um, just highlighting some of these things, but watching the game back, everything that I actually did yesterday was what you do to beat Leeds United. And no doubt that comes down to, to Eric Ten Hag. And I suppose the question is going to be, in the long run, whether or not this sort of starts happening more and more regularly in the Premier League as coaches become more aware of what it is that you do to, to cause us problems. But... What I do want us just to talk about briefly is um, something that was touched on yesterday, and, and you know, there is a there is this argument that you know you don't read too much into preseason. Last season we lost three 0 to Stoke um, and and went on to have a good season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I'm interested in in hearing from you guys what what you think you can and can't say about teams on the basis of their pre-season performances um, something we touched on yesterday was was um, I think maybe on the timeline was that um, there's certain things that you can do um, which are going to be excusable in terms of in terms of pre-season uh, Josh has mentioned a couple of those so Luke Ayling maybe being a little bit um, a, a little bit lacking of sharpness in in terms of his uh, build-up play um, I think the this the the pair shares goal where Schurz runs through the, the middle of the team. Actually, it can be traced back to a, a man-marking problem where Robin Koch and, and Jamie Shackleton end up man-marking the same player, leaving Dusan Tadic free. Um, and that just exacerbates the the movement of the centre-back anyway, which we, we all know is an issue. Um, those sorts of things, I think, are, are you know things that will be sorted out in, in, in the longer term. But um, we talked a lot about the pressing um, as, as a potential problem as well. So is there is there questions that can be asked about the way that Leeds are playing in pre-season or do we just dismiss all of it by saying, well, it's just pre-season? What, what's your take on this, Jacob? One thing that will get thrown up around that will be players' fitness. And we, we were having some discussion of, do we think that they're training on the same days that they're playing games? Because there definitely are players that don't look as sharp as you would expect them to once we actually get into the season. And I mean, I, I I don't know how they train, but there could well be something to that. And I'm sure that in that case, rather in this instance, that this is something that they will have sort of periodized in order to get the players to a, a fitness standard for the start of the season. So that side of things doesn't worry me so much. But you mentioned that defeat to Stoke last season. And, and we were looking at that last night and Ollie Casey and Leif Davis were the centre-back partnership. Like... um. And, and there were a huge number of first team players like away on international duty in that preseason. It wasn't the sort of co more cohesive um, first team unit that we have seen playing like the Betis game and this game last um, last night against Ajax. 
And so perhaps I'm a little bit more concerned about things that you would hope would be more second nature to them, even if they're a bit unfit, like some of this pressing stuff um, not showing through. How about you, Josh? Yeah, just what I've already said, really, structural issues that that we already know about um, not not being fixed. I think those are things that you... Like that's that's not a pre-season issue. That's a that's a pre-existing issue. Um, so things like that, I I think you can you can talk about and uh, yeah, maybe someone just looking really unfit. <laughs> but I don't I don't think anyone has looked really un, unfit at, at this point. But I I don't think um, yeah, if if you've only got ten ten days to go, less than now nine days to go until the season starts. And you're very unfit. You're not going to be um, ready <laughs> to to start the first game, or you, or you will, but you'll be a bit awful. So we'll see. I don't I don't want to say too much more about it other than what I've already said. Where um, yeah, I've I've just feel disappointed really about last night because personally it was a game that I was really excited for because I love Ajax and I wanted to see us go up against them properly and and see where we were at against them. And I don't think. That was a true representation of what we can do. Like if <laughs> I think if we'd put out maybe the the Dallas and, and Click uh, midfield, even Dallas and Roberts, which are, they they were a midfield pairing for a good amount of time last season, and they were they were really good. And uh, uh, to be honest, <laughs> I I would much rather see Roberts in midfield at the moment than than Rodrigo. So I I would like to have seen that uh, and then see what the game would look like and. You know, if if we played like that and still conceded from a couple of uh, long range strikes and a silly error from uh, from Ailing, but looked a lot better in the rest of our play, I'd I'd have been a lot happier. Just one final caveat: when we're talking about players looking unfit as well, I always do think that there's a tendency for the fans to say the players look unfit in games when the press breaks down a lot. Um, I think largely because when the press breaks down a lot players pass through you and you just look as though you're just chasing shadows anyway um, so I wonder whether or not that was just what, what was more the case yesterday um, I, I sometimes feel as though when, when the press isn't working the players become a little bit despondent as well because uh, I guess it, it, the the more running around you do it feels pointless if, if that's, that press isn't quite as, uh, as as sharp as it could be but that's just a, an observation from me right we've talked a lot about these, these games uh now and I, I think the, the general consensus is yes there are worrying things there but yes this is also pre-season we've got another pre-season game on Saturday so hopefully we'll see um, a little bit more of an improvement from, from there Hi this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA the future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We are going to talk about the squad um, more specifically today. Um, so we, we've done this in the past, but um, I thought it would be good to just spend a little bit of time today just looking at the overall health of the squad, uh, where we are at depth-wise. Um, and I just wanted to start with a disclaimer. I think we are going to be looking at the squad in a very dispassionate, um, business-oriented way. Um, so we're we're not expecting uh, people to just come out of this thinking that we think that the the squad is 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 rubbish or or that we are, are somehow dismissing uh, the the current squad that we have. But what we are doing is just having a look at the overall, as I've said, the overall health, looking at the age profiles, um, the, the the depth profiles across the squad, raising questions about where we could strengthen, perhaps where we might see issues next season. So. Um, 
as I say, just a dispassionate look at this um, with, with the caveat that we will be fine, everyone. I know there's been lots of heads heads being lost in the last few days. But um, before we begin looking at those various profiles that we've talked about, though, I thought it'd be good to just have a look at a little bit of a look at the context behind the squad. Uh, one of the famous rules or on maybe maybe it isn't an unwritten rule um but it's certainly a rule that Bielsa talks about or has talked about in the past is this idea of an 18 plus 4 rule in when it comes to the squad which is i think 18 senior players and then four youngsters in and around the squad as well um I think this is something that Bielsa talked about early on at his time at Leeds, and we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of last season, uh, maybe mid midway through last season. But do either of you have any thoughts on the eighteen plus four rule? Do you think that's something that that Bielsa uses as a heuristic principle in general, or do you think that that was just something that he talked about at the time? Uh, and what do you think that the eighteen plus four rule actually means? What's it? What's what's the the general thinking behind it? I'll start with you on this, Josh. I don't know if we've seen him stick to it, to be honest, because I think like. There's been talk about, I think the four is sort of a, um, that that's supposed to be like four from the under 23s that, that might step in. I think primarily when there's been opportunities for those under 23s players to step in, it's ultimately really been, well, we'll just move around other players out of their natural positions from the more core, like I wouldn't even say 18, I would say more core like, 14 or 15 uh that that he's used and it uh, obviously it's it's worked like i'm not saying it hasn't worked because it's it's seen us um it's seen us have three very good seasons excellent seasons very good is is selling it short um but it's 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 not what i'm personally comfortable with as 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 uh squad depth i would like to see uh more uh yeah more senior players in there who actually are specialists in their positions and i would like to see uh the under 23s players that are there on the fringes who are specialists in certain positions given their their turn like when there's an opportunity for example obviously shackleton is i guess he's being counted as one of those four um but there's been times where rather than using him there it was we were using uh Dallas in midfield uh, in the um promotion season where I don't think he suited necessarily the midfield role in the same way that he suited it in the Premier League um that that's just my feeling but he loves versatility doesn't he and and that's what's important to to Bielsa yeah it might be interesting actually just to look back at the minutes from last season uh, in that regard, so I've just I've got the um, the minutes played from last season in front of me, and actually of the players who played more than a thousand minutes, there are only sixteen of those players. So if we're talking about an eighteen plus four uh, principle, like you're you're going to have to look for another six players outside of their playing minutes. Um, the only the so in in order of minutes played. Uh, last season the next highest after the those players those 16 players with more than a thousand minutes are Jamie Shackleton is is first um uh, yeah he's probably played around about 600 minutes by the looks of it I don't have the exact figure in front of me I think it's about 450 oh yeah there's a line on that graph yeah um (laughs) we've also got Pablo Hernandez um around there and obviously he's gone um uh, and then can we just have a moment of silence <laughs> yeah i think most people have got got through the period of mourning now but um no i, you, I never will your, your level is a little bit higher than, than maybe everyone else <laughs> uh, and then we're talking about jan paveda is the only other real regular player the the other players who did have minutes are niall huggins who we, who we know cameoed uh leaf davis who cameoed berardi who did a bit of camo camo cameoing at the end of the season did a bit of camo <laughs> yeah. he's, he's very into his camo <laughs> if if ever there were a player who would be into camo it is uh, yeah i think that's Berardi. true uh, and then obviously Casilla played a couple of games as well so we're talking about players 16 players who are actively involved that's with more than a thousand minutes and then you've got maybe three players who are regularly involved after that in hernandez shackleton and Paveda. Uh, and then you've got four players who are sort of as and when they were needed um jacob what do you make of that because that that doesn't scream to me um sort of good squad rotation necessarily so um i I was thinking about the 18 plus four earlier and 
I think a, a, a big reason that Bielsa would want to go for something like that is because his football is so demanding and um, it asks a lot of you in training and the, with the weight targets and things that if you do have a larger squad of senior players, some of them are never going to play. And so then it becomes a bit harder for them to w- want to have to do all that work if they don't think they're going to have those opportunities. So in a sense, I think the 18 plus four is perhaps a sort of sensible compromise if you're going to play that kind of football. But you actually need all of those 18 plus four players to be able to to contribute. And it is, like Josh was saying, disappointing that you'd have have a have a, a scenario where he, he um, Bielsa would move Dallas to cover instead of what Shackleton might play or move Dallas onto the wing instead of a game that Pervader might be able to start and things like that. I think one of the things for me is that this principle often sees us have no options on our bench once we have a couple of injuries. Mm. That's one of the things that, that bothers me. So if we're in a game and it's it's nil nil and and we could do with the change from the from the bench or or we're one nil down and we need something there's n- there's no options that Bielsa actually wants to use or or there's only one there's there's Paveda that he thinks oh, I might as well try that he he's not going for these other um youngsters and there isn't anybody else that uh, is of the higher quality and and experience and we obviously know that there has there's loads of injuries with Leeds. There has been every season, so it's not a surprise. Um, so I, I would say that if we did have a little bit more depth, they would get games. If there was someone who was a dedicated backup to Calvin Phillips, they're gonna get like six to eight games starting. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, I guess this maybe boils down to perhaps trust issues on the part of Bielsa. It does seem as though he has people who he wants on the field at all costs if they're available. Um, because you started off, Jacob, by saying, you know, when he is going to be that demanding about about fitness, then he can't he can't just expect everyone to be fit and then not play them. But surely a possible solution to that is by rotating players a little bit more. Do you think that would be a, a potential solution to these sorts of issues? I, I definitely, and that's something that I would, would like to see a bit more, um, both just in terms of managing people's um, minutes, but also in terms of, actually allowing us to be a bit more tactically flexible in games because there's definitely games where like for example different compositions of the two eights will be be more useful like um I don't want to see it in every game but um the maybe click and Dallas together would still be a a good thing to play against like for example Manchester United where there's going to be just a lot of um um direct running through the middle of the pitch or something but then I would be very happy to not have to run Click and or Dallas into the ground all the time. And if we had another midfielder play them, maybe against um, an opposition who isn't offering that same kind of threat. And yeah, I, I do think it's almost a bit stubborn by Bielsa. And I would like him to, I would like him to trust the squad more. Like if we're going to have a squad this small, he'd need to be able to trust all of the players. And it's like Josh was saying, I don't feel like he does. Yeah, I guess the elephant in the room here is Stuart Dallas and uh, this will be something when we look at squad depth that becomes an issue because the thinking is always if there's someone missing, you can sort of swing Dallas to sort out the problem. Uh, and that means that he ends up sort of deputising in a number of positions and you can you then get this sort of situation where you'll say things like, well, you know, we, we, the, there's so little depth in certain areas, it's inevitable that players will end up coming coming in. That's true to an extent, but <laughs> the player that ends up coming in is usually Stuart Dallas. Oh yeah, that's that's Bielsa's conscious choice, though, is isn't it? And I like we're talking about changing the man here, and and that's ultimately ultimately it's not going to happen. And he's and he's been successful in doing so uh, for three seasons at Leeds. And uh, you know who who are, who are we to criticise? But this is just our views and our and what we what we think. And it worries me that that Dallas played like literally only about 10 minutes shy of every minute available in in the Premier League season um i i, I don't think that's a good thing that but that's just me and i suppose there's knock on questions there about youth development as well because it does feel as though that the slots where usually you would maybe see someone like Cody Drame coming in for if if um, Luke Ayling was injured it's just not going to happen because Dallas will probably be swung to to fit in there yeah and and that's something that we 
uh, I'm sure we're going to go on to talk about later on that a player like Drame, we know he is earmarked to be a, a successor to, to Ailing. Um, but how can he be that if he doesn't get any minutes? Like he needs to play an hour here, half an hour here, a start here. He, like he needs those. Because if he doesn't get those, then you can't suddenly say when Ailing's fallen off the cliff, you can't suddenly say, okay, Drame can start now because he won't be ready. Just on like Dallas's flexibility and versatility, it's fantastic for games he's already starting where maybe we need to shift from the back four to the back three. Like him and Ailing having that versatility means we can move between those two main systems really well. But I completely share the viewpoint that maybe if Ailing was out, let's play Drame. Let's actually um, invest the time into the players who are going to, in theory, be the future. Let's move on and talk about the age profile then, uh, because uh, the, the, the minutes plot that I've got in front of me also spreads players out by age uh, over the course of the, of the season. We've got a, a, a greyed out area in the middle, which um, is highlighting peak age, which is an arbitrary thing at the best of times. But here we've gone from the years 24 to 29, which is roughly what is considered to be a player's peak age. Um, a few things to notice on this graph. I think the first one is that we've got, well, we've got five players at least who are, who, who are, playing very regularly for, for, for Leeds last season, who are outside of that peak age um, curve on the wrong side of it. So Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas played a lot of minutes. They're both around the age of 30, Dallas just over 30. Um, Alioski played, obviously, um, and has moved on now, so less of a problem there. Mateus Click, who we've talked about as being really important for the the press obviously kicking on in age as well um he played over 2000 minutes despite the fact he was largely injured um in points of the season and then obviously Liam Cooper as well um uh, picking up over 2000 minutes again with a with a long term injury the other player who is in that group who played fewer minutes is is Rodrigo so what do we make of the, the this from the from an age per, uh, age curve um profile in general because these are these are important players. This is Luke Ayling, um, who, uh, as we've we've talked about, the only backup we really have to him is either Stuart Dallas or or a, an under twenty threes player who doesn't yet have that many senior minutes. Uh, Stuart Dallas, who is the, obviously the solution to a lot of our problems. Mercedes Click, who's really important to the press. Uh, you can argue Liam Cooper maybe less important because we have a bit more of a depth at centre back. But what what do we make of of the age um, curve profile? Given that we have a number of players who are a little bit older. Yeah, I mean, so I think it is a bit concerning given how how many minutes they've played. However, as you said, Alioski's gone and we've brought in Junior, who is 24. So he's at the very start of of the peak age. So that's great. That's a good, um, that's a good smart signing in terms of age. Um, Cooper, obviously, he played actually a very similar amount of minutes to Strauch, but I think Strauch may have even taken off that starting role from from Cooper already. If he hasn't, then I I expect him to do during the season, which I think a lot of people think that. So then it will become, can we bring through another centre-back? And I think a lot of people have hopes of that sort of fourth-choice centre-back being Cresswell, so that's good. Um, Click, uh, obviously one of the main starting midfielders. Um, we're talking about uh, we're talking about O'Brien coming in and and doing a very similar thing, maybe on the other side. But that he's uh, twenty two, so he comes in as pre peak. Um, Stuart Dallas is obviously he's sort of one of the midfield options slash the backup left back um maybe bait sort of fills that hole in in the neck maybe comes in plays a few minutes this season but the season after becomes that option in in midfield uh and there's been talk of of a left back for the under 23s so maybe that left back for the under 23s becomes the backup left back particularly if it is Josh Doig who has been mentioned? Uh, he's played a lot of first team minutes already for for Hibs in Scotland. I don't know if it is him because it sounds like he's a very in demand player, and it may well be that uh, a team 
buys him who who will give him first team minutes straight away so if we bought him we would be doing that too wouldn't we given that juniors already <laughs> yeah maybe it, it yeah maybe it depends how how uh how bielsa uh trusts him doesn't it because initially we might go hey there's a gap because junior's injured and then we just go oh but dallas is going to play there so yeah i i, I think it is a concerning group but also I think we are starting to already do the work on it and we will do more work on it the summer after and hopefully that's okay. And just as I was ta- running that through, speaking about it, I was encouraging myself <laughs> a little bit because that's the thing that's worried me before. Another maybe potentially concerning group of players in this list is four players who have commanded some of the highest fees that, that we've we've spent in, in recent um, seasons um, so we have Robin Koch who, um, who who was brought in for I think it was around 10 million last season Helder Costa who was brought in at around I don't know you'll know these things um, um, Jacob but around 15 million uh, Diego Urente around 18 million and then Rodrigo around 27 million uh, those are those are four of our highest profile signings um, certainly financially in in the whole history of the club those players all only just played over a thousand minutes last season so Jacob what what do you make of that side of things the fact that when we have signed players in, in over the last window we haven't quite got the sorts of uh, minutes profiles that we might have wanted to get out of them. Is that something that worries you? Definitely. It's something that I really hope the the club would learn from. And particularly for me, it's around Llorente and Rodrigo. Um, Costa, I think it's a bit of a different story, only in the sense that when we did that deal, we weren't expecting to then go and sign an absolutely ridiculously good winger in Rafinha. Um, we thought that Costa was going to be someone who would contribute a lot more to us um, in the first team, and then Robin Koch, um, I think he's just he's unlucky with the, with that injury. Whereas Urente and Rodrigo are injury prone players, and also players who are that little bit older, and um, that they're both good football players they're, but they are both players that we've questioned whether they're absolutely perfect fits for our system and when you combine that with the fact that they're hitting or already at the, the peak of their career and the fact that both of them get a lot of muscle injuries it, it does make you question sort of was were, were those players the best use of, of our money given where the squad's at Rodrigo in particular like when I was thinking about this sort of older group that Josh was just talking about, it strikes me there's a lot of midfielders in that because you've got Click, you've got Dallas, you've got Rodrigo, you've technically got Forshaw as well, although whether you count him or not is up for debate. Um, so it's in theory um, an area of the pit pitch where a lot could fall off quite quickly. If Rodrigo was a midfielder who would a few, a few, excuse me a midfielder who was a few years younger, then it wouldn't feel like as much of a risk that. O'Brien is coming in and Bates is coming in um, and having having really for those to come off because like say it doesn't work out for Bates or say it doesn't work out for O'Brien suddenly we're on the hook again for probably a, a bigger expense in a in a season or two's time to suddenly plug the gap for Mateus Click um, having his injuries mount up even more and, and stuff like that so I, I I'm just a bit a bit maybe frustrated that the club hadn't looked for people whose ages maybe fit where we need to be a bit more. I know the Urente one was a bit complicated because of Cox's injury, but even so, when you're signing someone to cover someone who's injured, should you be signing an injury-prone player? <laughs> yeah, good. it's a good question. I don't want to dwell too much on this because I think, as Josh has said, there are promising signs of, of, of a little more thought going into like replacing profiles uh, of older players with younger players. Um, maybe a few concerns about the fact that it does seem as though we cut it fine and there maybe isn't quite so much uh, senior minutes available for those players. So you, again, it does feel a little bit risky. But um, Tom Wilson um, of Focus on Leeds had a question uh, about any concerns about the lack of peak uh, age players coming through in the next few seasons that's 24 to 29 year olds but I think Josh as you've said not really too worried about about that given the fact that we are 
bringing or at least looking at players who would be able to replace aging players at some point in the future yeah i mean i i think so o'brien is like right on the on the edge so he's 22 but he'll turn 23 in in just a few months so obviously i'm talking about o'brien as if we have signed him but you know we we i think that will will happen so let's let's continue as if that is the case um if it turns out to not be the case then i'm gonna look like a moron um but that's fine uh yeah so he he would be close to to uh coming into that group obviously bait is not drama is not but i think the the winger signing that we expect to come in i think they will be in that um they will be in that age range or or the or 23 something like that so just about to come into that age range um and then i think ultimately the summer signings we make next summer will be in that age range and that will that will mean we've got those um those areas covered i think what we're looking to do is try and recruit really well uh at, for high um high level 19 year olds 18 19 year olds to be those pre-peak players that will and then we're going to sign the also the the peak age players uh, for our main first teamers when it comes to the pre-peak players as you're calling them from last season there's only really three players in that group one of them is Elan Melier who obviously got minutes by dint of the fact that our other keeper wasn't going to be much use um, Pascal Strauch got over 2,000 minutes obviously that was because two of our centre-backs were injured for long periods as well as uh, our third centre-back despite the fact he did play 2,000 minutes but he did Liam Cooper did have injuries last season and then Tyler Roberts as well a player who got a fairly big decent chunk of minutes um, pushing 1,500 minutes off the back of injuries as well it, it seems like each one of those three players has, has got their break for Leeds United because of external circumstances of luck um, so how much does that worry you Josh? I don't think it worries me. I think I think it's what hap- it is what tends to happen with um with younger players. Uh I mean let's be honest Melier like he 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 wouldn't have got his first opportunity um without uh, without you know Casillas uh ban uh but he then proved himself to be an exemplary goalkeeper. Um uh, and now we're we're talking about you know PSG being interested in signing him and things like that so um yeah Strauch yes again he 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 had an opportunity that came because of an injury uh but both again like Melier he stepped up and showed that he's he's totally off the level uh and that that's great and and Roberts I think you know I we all know that there's some people are not convinced about him I'm one of the people that likes Roberts um but yeah he he had a a run in the team where he got to show they had some quality and I think Bielsa felt that he had it and they got they gave him another contract and I think at some point there will be a a player maybe two uh, who gets that opportunity in this season too who, who there'll be an injury and someone will get a chance and they'll and they'll get a good amount of minutes if they uh, if they prove themselves, if they show that that, that they deserve uh, those minutes and they belong at the level. And I think maybe only Jack Clark sort of forced himself in by being like he's the he basically forced himself to be that best option, but he burned brightly and for a very short <laughs> amount of time in that sense. So. I think it's almost better not to come through in that way. Let's just talk quickly before we finish about squad depth. So we've got a squad depth chart in front of us. Um, I'll, I'll go to each of you in turn and just um, ask for you to highlight areas that you worry maybe a little bit about uh, a lack of depth. So Jacob, we'll go with you first. What, what, what sort of stands out to you in terms of the senior squad depth that could be a worry? Uh, left back. Um, I know. I know. We've already sort of briefly touched on it with the potential signing of of Josh Doig. Um, but um, J- Junior, we we were looking at this just before, has got a history of injuries that aren't like just you're out for a week and then you're back. Like injuries that do keep him out for a, a month or so. And when you then put a player like that into 
our system that has such a high load on you. Um, we could very well be suddenly back in a situation where we're calling Dallas back into left back and depending on how the season goes, that could be taking an important cog out of our central midfield again. Um, so um, that that's perhaps the thing that sort of leaps out at me most. And then even right back to, to, to some extent, even though Shackleton and Drame are there, neither of them have ever been consistently used um, in the squad. And it does feel like it, it's a lot on Ailing and or Dallas. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and... I think on our squad depth chart, it looks okay because we've got Dallas covering twice in there. So we've got Ailing, Dallas, Shackleton at right back as the right back options. And then obviously Drame comes in as, as the under 23s option. On the left, we've got Junior, then Dallas. And then I guess uh, on, on the preseason showing, you're going straight to someone like Liam McCarran. Um, obviously, if they bring in a player, which as we've said, they, they are likely to do. I think there's another, uh, uh, I can't remember his first name, but Anderson from Chelsea is another player, I think, who is mentioned as a potential left-back replacement. So they're clearly going to bring in someone, I think, in the in the under-23s. But you're, you're falling away pretty quickly. And, and I think the issue with Dallas playing options either a right or left back means that you know you can't you can't consider yourself to have good depth when one of those players could be filling in on the other side uh, at any point as well as he's expected as a, a midfielder as well I'm not going to say anything different to that really I, I do I do agree that um that I think when when you say that Dallas is your depth in in sort of three positions that that's problematic so yeah I don't I, I think that's probably what will happen like but it doesn't mean it, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't worry me a bit but the yeah I, equally i think that's where there'll be an opportunity for a shackleton to stick his hand up and and finally get a thousand minutes or uh or drama to get his first chance or or whatever whatever i think the uh, the other thing for me is is the winger um but that's more because of less to do with depth and more to do with quality i think because i I'm I'm very happy with the with the quality of <clears throat> of Rafinha and Harrison like that that's they're, they're obviously excellent um but the yeah the depth of of quality which I already said where I, I want that third one who you'd go well he's basically as good as the other two and and you could just rotate which is what we did see happen at times where Costa started games because Bielsa was maybe wanting to try something different to Harrison in certain situations. And sometimes that worked and other times that did not work. And it would be nice to have another, uh, another winger who you would be re- like genuinely happy with them starting games. I think the issue as well is like you said before, the, the bench very quickly starts looking unimaginative. Like if you, if you take out our first 11, then you're looking at potential game changes of, of Tyler Roberts, Helder Costa, Jan Paveda. Jamie Shackleton like very quickly falls off and you don't really think of those players as game changers like I think Shackleton can be a game changer because of his energy and that sometimes that can just make a difference his energy his ball carrying and um, I think Perveda has potential to be a game changer we have seen it but not that often he was a game changer alongside Rodrigo in the home game against Manchester City last last season but that that's been fairly rare. He's had little moments where he's looked bright, but not any where he's consistently impacted a game apart from that one. I think I think you could say that about all of all of those players you just named. Like again, Costa, may, again his ball carrying could be useful in certain games. We saw that in Southampton at home, and both him and Roberts in um, the four-two defeat against Arsenal, but. It, it, it's exactly as you said about like the consistency of of those players being able to offer something from the bench. It's it's not really something that's enough in my opinion. Yeah, right. One final question before we end. Uh, looking forwards, really. So Mo tweets um, says on the assumption we sign a central midfielder and a winger, what areas would you be looking at next summer? Uh, whether it's because there's a lack of depth in the position, a lack of quality in the position, or it's an ageing position. So again, I'll I'll go to you you both here, but um, I'll start with you, Josh. What what are you thinking about next summer? Because it's, in many respects, like next summer is is a, a more important question than than this summer. Insofar as I feel we could sort of struggle through this season, but by the end of this season, you're you're starting looking at players and thinking, you know, there's no two ways about it. We are potentially going to lose two or three players here. 
Yeah, I think I'd go for a, a genuine successor to Bamford unless uh, unless Gelhart has managed to make a real uh, play for that, that role during the season. I, obviously, I, I hope that happens, but if that doesn't happen, then, then someone who will basically play uh, as a backup to Bamford to start with, but with the sort of proviso of you, that they're going to take on the role properly, uh, perhaps the, during that season or the season after. Like, I'm not rushing to replace Pat because I love Pat, but we, we can't get caught short on that one. Um, and I probably, I'd say a, a 10 because I, that's, I don't feel like we've really got that now. Um particularly that Rodrigo will be 31 this season, he'll be 32 the season after, and I've all, I'm already unhappy about him in in that position anyway. So it'd be nice to have a 10 who's actually more of a midfield 10. Um, I think those would be my two most important ones, and then I would have to see how this season then then goes uh, before, I would, before I would be sort of really sure... Um, I would hope that Cresswell and Drame would would establish themselves as as other potential options, but there's lots of hope about what the 23s will do, and we don't know, so we'll just have to see. And how about you, Jacob? I guess you'll be echoing a lot of what Josh said there. I agree. Um, I agree with everything Josh said, and the thing I'd probably have to throw into the mix is that there is a fair chance that we sell um, somebody like Rafinha next summer. Ending this podcast on a high. <laughs> Absolutely, um, <laughs> I know that's true. That I do. Yeah, I do know. That. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm not here for the highs. I'm here for the cold hard facts, <laughs> and, which is good <laughs> because you won't get many of them. And um, yeah, so we, we, Rafinha feels like the the most obvious player who who someone's going to try and take unless we pull some ridiculous season out out of nowhere and get in the Champions League and. Um, then suddenly the picture for, for wingers is going to look a, a, like something that we have to address again. Like perhaps the, the the winger that we'd like to bring in this season, it's possible that they could be retooled and play off the right. But then suddenly you're looking back down at, is Somerville going to make it? Is Pervader going to make it? Is Miller going to make it? And I would probably like to be in the position that Josh was talking about for the, the transfer window we're in now, that we have three wingers that we know we can rely on and so I think that's going to come round again and I mean questions could get again asked about Melier or Strauk or Calvin um, as well and um, just have to have those in the back of my mind Melier is out of contract in 2023 so need to keep an eye on that one I think the whole idea of like because at the moment we're just simply talking about we have players that we need that we replace and, and try and keep the profile to a certain point of view but it's, it's long been the the language that's been flung around by the owners of the club that they want to be like Leicester and Leicester are quote-unquote a selling club um, and I guess I'm one final question then would just be like how do we envisage the future going is it simply going to be the case that the Leeds are just going to sort of replace players with players you can fill in and it just constantly feels as though you're you're churning to within an inch of your life or do you think we will get to a point where say you sold someone like Rafinha suddenly you have I don't know 70 million in the bank 60 million in the bank off the back of that how do you then want the the club to be spending that money do you want the club to be sort of thinking a little bit more long term in that sense rather than being like well next season we're going to lose this player so we're going to have to find a direct replacement um how do you feel about that Jacob? What Leicester showed even with winning the title is that you do lose some of those heroes and um, I think we've got to be prepared. It's interesting. It, it's so contingent on whether Bielsa, st- how long Bielsa stays. Um, but so I don't know how, how much Bielsa will be willing to be entirely tactically flexible. But um, but yeah, I, I do think that we've got to be prepared to commit to growth that won't be as quick as the fans might like it. And um if that means we lose a couple of players that we love, then we, we've got to, to go for that. Yeah, very circumspect. Josh, what about yourself? Yeah, I, th- I think what, what Jacob already said with perhaps like in the case of what could potentially happen with Rafinha, um, if this winger that we bring in this season is, is of the sort of required level that, that we hope for, then 
perhaps even if they're not a main starter this year and they play a bit from the bench, start a few games, and then that next season they are able to step into the shoes of an important role and then you probably also buy another winger. But you know you've you know you've already got the quality there. And yeah, I mean I think the thing that Leicester tended to do is buy they tend to buy a player the year before they expect to lose a player. Yeah. And and that that's I think you know that it's important to do that that's good planning so that you're not caught caught out and, and scrambling and players know you're cu- like opposition teams just they know you're coming like once that happens i think uh let's look at villa like they they haven't sold greedish at this point but they're very close to selling greedish but they they got buendia in before that looked that likely mm-hmm. um and that that was that was very smart. Although they are obviously doing mm. it in the same window. I don't want to sell Rafinha. May I just say that? Yeah, Josh Josh Hobbs is desperate to sell Rafinha. You heard it here. We're not trying to sell Rafinha. We want him to stay. Please never leave. I love you, Rafinha. And that's not even dispassionate. That's just <laughs> the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think the the important thing to say is that what you've got to be aware of is that the way we're going, we're sort of keeping players until they're they're going to retire essentially or you know you're not going to sell them for any profit you talk about players like just looking at the age plot now Patrick Bamford if we keep him for a couple of seasons we're not going to make money on him um if we keep Calvin Phillips for for another three seasons again you're 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 talking about a big wedge of cash that you're losing out on him and I suppose the, the 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 problem is is that when you get in for me anyway when you get into that mindset of just keeping players for as long as possible what you're do- what the issue is that you're just always outlaying money and you're never inlaying money in that sense. And I think we do need to have a nice balance between those two. We do need to feel as though, right, we're we, we're getting this money in for this player, and so we can spend it on X, Y, or Z player. Because at the moment it feels as though last summer we spent a lot of money. This summer we're not spending much money because we don't have much money to spend. And the, the idea that we're going to have endless or bottomless pockets of cash available to us is just it's just not going to be there so I think it's just really important to be smart and keep keep things ticking over so that you, you know you do have the ability to bring in the players that you want to and 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 this 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 season sort of does look a little bit like because when was when was the last time we sold a player for like big money is it Ronaldo Vieira <laughs> let's go back to the um promotion season and you know we yeah. sold Janssen and but we sold Janssen for what and- like peanuts in the end and Ruth was what seven million or something but yeah but I think at the time those were those were fees for like good fees for our best player for some of our best players so for relatively like we were we were not gonna sell a star player as we came up that's that wouldn't have been smart for us to do that and then I think we're still too fragile to to do that at this point so but but my argument here is simply that you do need to be able to start making those moves because if you get into the cycle where you co- you're constantly saying, "Well, we're too so fragile to sell," you never end up getting to a point where you actually have players to sell. You're always sort of patching holes and stuff. The other thing to say, I think, is that I think when selling players like Janssen and Roof, it's probably more to do with the fact that Bielsa was happy to let them go, and I feel as though we've got a squad now where Bielsa wouldn't necessarily want players to go and so that maybe complexifies it a little bit as well but I feel as though we're moving into a, into a dangerous area and we've, we have gone past the hour mark so I will draw this to a close It's been great fun chatting to you guys uh, about this sort of stuff and uh, lots of interesting things to look forward to in, in coming seasons as well Just before we close just a few things to, to push Firstly, do review and rate us I know Darren Darren has uh, induced me to do this a little bit more this season, but it is very important for us if if you guys can review and rate us because it will mean that we show up higher in in various algorithms and, and and things like that. So a really simple thing for you guys to do is just is just do that. In terms of the stuff that's out on our Patreon channel, uh, keep an eye out for our new Under Twenty Threes podcast with Tom Wilson of f- Focus on Leads. Uh, that was good good fun to record and um, is is going down well. Um, next week we are really getting back into the throes of, of Premier. League football so we will have our first preview episode um, coming out next week uh, and that is uh, an episode that will only be available to our patrons Um, so yeah keep an eye out um, for for that if you are interested in getting off full preview episodes where we speak to a fan of an opposition team then then sign up to our patreon there Um, and next week we have a live episode going out as our free episode so this weekly episode that that we're doing now will be um, going out live on our YouTube and 
Periscope channels. Um, we will be doing an over under slash hypotheticals episode like we did last year, where we just look forward to the season and try and predict some fun things that might happen. Um, and that will be going out on Monday at 8 p.m. So do show up for that. Uh, if you do want to sign up to our Patreon, the website is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast we look forward to an exciting season and i have to say thank you to josh thanks mate and thank you to jacob cheers john and we'll see you next week A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.